we believe that the world is going to run these super gnarly AI ML applications. They're going to run them near where the data is, like in factories, in telecom, and 5G, hospitals in the hospitals inside the rooms. It's just going to go on and on. And we believe that that's where the action is because we have such reach. How do we turn that knob incrementally to make an impact on things like sustainability that are super, super important to us? That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. I am super excited to have on How Success Happens today, Robert Christensen, who currently is a VP in the CTO office at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. He helps set the strategy and share the company's vision, dedicating himself to global clients and partners, deepening those relationships, and aligning joint technology efforts to improve the way all of us live and work. He, of course, is also a podcast host of HPE's Tech Talk podcast, Robert, thank you so much for coming on HSH today. Thank you so much, Robert. Good to be here. You got it. Okay. I have to ask, how did a self-professed serial entrepreneur like yourself end up at a major Fortune 50 company? And it totally appears like you're not only enjoying being at HPE, but thriving in this role. Yeah. It's kind of a back your way into it. The conversation is pretty... Interesting how I got there. I joined a company called Cloud Technology Partners in 2013 as a lead for the public cloud when it was just really getting off the ground. It had been around for a year or two, but it moved into this accelerated foot on the gas pedal for just about every organization in the world. And we were just getting called everywhere. And we did very, very well. I was an early person into the company. And then Hewlett Packard Enterprise acquired us. And, you know, I have to say, I'll be perfectly uh, you know, straight with you, being acquired by a larger Fortune 100 company that's typically known for on-premises and not public cloud was definitely a, a bifurcation of my psyche at the time that I just could say, you know, I got my foot on the boat, I got my foot on the dock, which way am I going to go? But after being in HPE for about nine months, it became ridiculously obvious that one, not all the applications were going to go to public cloud. Matter of fact, a substantial percentage of them were going to stay, majority were going to stay on premises for all sorts of reasons. But number two, nobody on the planet had the asset base and the client base and the reach like HPE did to bring a cloud experience on premises. So they immediately wanted to take my expertise in public cloud and say, hey, bring all that learning what did you learn? How do you do it? That type of thing. And put it inside HPE and will you help us? And that's kind of how this journey started. And so that's where we are. It sounds like really for entrepreneurs and, and our listeners, you know, to go from being in a company that's acquired, that, that's a dream. But then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm in this huge company. Yeah. But it sounds like for you, they've kind of put you in this position now to, to be this voice. Has that been like that since the beginning? Uh, not quite from the beginning, but you know, like I said, about eight, eight, nine months into it, they really liked the vision that myself and Kumar Srikante, who is the CTO right now, and I put together. We kind of worked together to put together the pivot 
and the direction for the software and the various things around GreenLake and stuff. And so as an entrepreneur, finding my way around 60,000 people in a global company, you would say from the outside looking in, what are you doing, Robert? This is really not fitting the, the DNA, but, but let me be perfectly clear. You can find a place inside a company of any size to be innovative and to drive change as long as you have a set of beliefs and characteristics about how you want to innovate and then work within the system that you are in. You know, HPE was, it's easily the largest company I've ever worked for. My largest company prior before that was like 250 to 300 people. Wow. I think what your real question is really about is that how do you set yourself as a mindset, as an entrepreneur to, to innovate in the environment you're in, as opposed to fighting the environment you're in? I love that. That is such great advice because there's so many people who go to large organizations and they complain it's not entrepreneurial enough. Right. But- when you said it like that, right, to do it and work within the confines, that makes so much sense. And, you know, I want to bring up, you know, as you talked about, you went from 250, 300 people is the largest company. Now, mm-hmm. I have to bring this up because you personally, when I thought I was going to be talking to someone at HPE, I was thinking, okay, you know, corporate, corporate all the way, but, but you are a serial entrepreneur. And one of the first businesses I think you started, which I was fascinated about, was a fly fishing business. Is that true? It sure is. It was called the Mighty Fly. Um, I started it in 2002. I was a big fly fisherman and I didn't see anything on the internet at the time. Knew nothing about, you know, but back then, which was SEO, Yahoo was really kind of the four leader in that kind of space, you know, uh, something called Overture was the big deal back then. Yeah. And I just buried myself into back-end systems and did everything there was to know about lead generation. And I built this uh, fly fishing website and we ran it for about six years. I sold it to a guy in Scandinavia when I was th- when I was done with it. It was it wasn't paying the mortgage, let's just say that, right? Okay. <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was one of those. I've always had five or six things going my whole life always had five or six things going and because it's where my passions are. I like innovating. And it sounds like you're able to have five or six things going now at HPE. Yeah, absolutely. How is that different than when you had five or six things going from an entrepreneurial business perspective as to doing that within a large organization? Yeah, it's a great question, Robert. So you have to pick your higher likelihood of success within the environment you are you know, I like what Branson says. He says, opportunities are coming around once every 20 minutes. They're like buses, right? You will always see opportunities if you're an entrepreneur. This is like, you got to be, you got to have discernment. And the discernment really gets down to is how can you incubate your idea with inside the organization that you have? And so, you know, the way HPE is set up is that we have business units and each business unit has revenue goals and profitability and stuff. And so you have to be thinking about how do these business goals take this entrepreneurial recognition of an opportunity and how do you help them see it and then help them build a plan to go after that industry that you may be seeing that they may not. Or if they see something, they're going to ask you for the help and help them innovate to go find that opportunity. And so when you have an organization like HPE, which has many business units, you get many opportunities to start engaging and saying, hey, how do I take my 18 to 24 months lens and apply it to these multiple organizations. So therein lies the opportunity to have a lot of different things going on at one time. That's a great one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you're the host of HP's Tech Talk. You talk a lot about data. 
data is, I mean, if we, if we look at it now, there's an explosion, right? Happening worldwide. Mm -hmm. It's super Mm -hmm. exciting. I mean, the amount of data and opportunities, even running, you know, our small business, Amaze Media Labs, I I see it every day. But sometimes as an entrepreneur of a small business, it's a little confusing. And how can you get beyond that? How, how do you, how are you able to use data or in some way, how should you look at it for an entrepreneur? Yeah. So the, depending on what industry or where you're using your entrepreneurial skills will dictate the tool sets that you may use or who you employ. And I think about an entrepreneur who might be a small business owner or someone who's building out a platform of software. Like, so one of my good friends, his name's Devin, he runs a behavioral health small business. He does compliance for people who run behavioral health companies, and he's got a small group of people and like that. And he has a real need for a serious amount of data acquisition because he collects behavioral health data, right? And he talks about making compliance and keeping track of that stuff. And so he has to rely on his vendor. All right. He has to go to talk to the vendor. He has to say, hey, what are the tools that you're going to bring to me that are going to be meaningful to me? And a lot of times what we're finding is that what I call the AI, which is you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, AI, ML, washing of, of software hmm. systems. They'll slap on, you know, they may put a little analytics into it and slap on that it's an AI driven system. Okay. You, you got to push into that and, and educate yourself on what true AI or machine learning analytics can bring to a small business or an entrepreneur organization. As you go up the continuum in business sizes, and it's, let's say you're a leader of a, of a, of a medium-sized organization, and you're actually starting to say, hey, how can I take this repository of data that I have and turn it into insights? Now you're starting to transition into what I would call applications that you could deploy on your own. But you, most mid-market companies don't have the bandwidth or the expertise to hire data scientists, to hire data, what I call data wranglers, those type of things. And the emergence, Robert, right now was something called low-code or no-code AI, meaning that it's point-and-click intelligence. And so this is one of my personal passages and one of, the, one of those things inside HPE that I'm very, very focused on is how do we bring a set of tools that don't require data scientists and PhDs to run? Okay. If you're a manufacturer of plywood and it's coming off your machine at 10 feet a second, you want to have a high speed camera detect any anomalies so that you can stop the run. You know, historically it used to take a data scientist a, a, quite a while to figure out, but today there are off the shelf systems that have high speed cameras attached to AI systems that'll detect that anomaly with as few as 200 or 300 images as a sample set. That's huge for a manufacturer. Think about that. It's incredible. I mean, when I think back and running, you know, a business, literally only looking back the last business I had hmm, seven, eight years ago, right? Or, or I, I mm-hmm. think we launched in 2012, 2013, you know, some of the opportunity f- to gather this data, to, it, it wasn't even there. And when you talk about off the shelf products, right? I mean, that's incredible. But one of the things that, that might be difficult, how do you talk to businesses and partners and, and entrepreneurs how do I identify data that's important? And then how to gather it? Is, is there any tips you have? 
<laughs> we, we, that's a great one, Robert. <laughs> hey, how do I how do I solve world hunger and launch the yeah. next space shuttle to the like that? So thanks thanks for throwing that one my way. I need some help here for my business, as you could tell, Robert. <laughs> that uh, after I'm hoping yeah. you could just like come through our system. But in any case, we'll take the short version here because I'm sure all these people listening, this is such you know you 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 know like there's so much data, but like. And you said even mid-level companies, it's hard to, oh, yeah. to have a day. How do you do that? How do you know what to gather? So, so in any case. This was a topic today, actually, with you know, very, very large organizations specifically. You know, when you're in the banking industry, you don't have a choice, right? You, you got to save the data for purposes of compliance, right? So you had to deal with that. But if you're in a non-regulated industry or an industry that doesn't, you know, there's no one coming in your door and saying, have you got this information? We're moving into something called know your client or know your customer data. That know your data world is so critical now because the regulators are stepping in at every level and saying, hey, do you collect social security numbers? Are you keeping images of people? Are you collecting credit card data? And if you are, you one, have to know it. Number two, you have to know where it is and how you're protecting it. And we're getting, I bet you within five to six years, it's going to be a standard that any business of just about any size is going to have to have a know your data policy. And that will dictate, Robert, what it is that you're going to have to track. And that's just compliance side. From a general response to your question, if it's not directly today, especially mid-market and lower market, if it's not directly adding value today, I don't see any reason why to keep data because you're not going to have the systems or the people in place to abstract value out of other information, right? Obviously, you got to keep all your order history and your client data and your CRM data and stuff like that. But my point is, is that if it's not directly adding value to your business and driving your business today, especially in the mid-market and lower, you're going to need to jettison it, get it out because it'll, it will weigh you down and then you're going to have to be paying for it at, you know, ongoing. You know, it's a great point because I'm thinking of data, data, grab data, grab data. And I know that a lot of larger companies do get a lot of data, right? And I think in terms of unlocking all of that data, how can they prepare themselves to take advantage of technologies and management concepts, you know, that kind of really help to create more of a sharing mentality? What, what can they actually do? This gets into something that we call, that we're working on here at HPE called data spaces. And data spaces is fundamentally connecting data consumers with data producers. And to say, well, we've been doing that since we've been invented email, right? Attach a, a, a file to an email and I'm connecting my consumer with my producer. And so like, once you send out a, a file on an email, you have no idea where that's going. Yeah. So we've been working through these problems and the next layer up is really the result of a collision that's happened with the data analytics, the AI and ML space with the normal uh, IT world. Historically, Robert, we separated the two. We've had the AI ML world, you know, back in the day with Cray, who we acquired, but you think about Teradata and now Cloudera and then Hadoop, you just start talking in that big data space has run parallel to classic IT. They really never mixed, but that's changing now. All right. So they're intersecting. And the same systems that run the IT are now running these you know, AI models and the training and the inference that's going on are intersecting. And because of that, there is this demand for give me more data sets that I can train my models on that tell me and help me get better accuracy. So for example, those uh, plywood coming off of a high-speed mill, they may be, want to have a different 
uh, set of images to train the system so that it gets better accuracy and raises the quality of the output. And because of that, you have the need for somebody to give them out the data and they would buy that today, but there's no control over it. You might, they're basically emailing it over again, right? And there's no lineage and there's no control. So what we're seeing here at HPE is this tsunami. I mean, I'm literally telling you right now, there's a tsunami of people wanting to create data marts, data monetization, data compliance, data management, and to actually treat data like they would treat a software platform. They would have revisions to data. There would be a release cycle. There's a CICD pipeline around it, that whole thing. And data itself becomes the asset. It's so evident. And one thing I love most about, as we called it, data revolution, is the incredible growth, right, in the opportunity, as you talked about, to create businesses. And I know HPE is building a platform, I guess, supporting both on-premises and public cloud, using open source as the foundation. Can, can you give us a little insight and discuss that further, what you guys are doing? Yeah. The world is not all one way. Historically, in the last six, seven years, uh, there's been like cloud-first mo motions. There's been all in on public cloud, et cetera. And, and that's just becoming a, um, uh, not the case anymore. It, it's a hybrid world. Um, meaning that there's going to be on-premises, there's going to be public, there can be multiple public. And so what we recognize here is that you have to have a similar cloud experience, whether it be on-premises in a hybrid world or in a public cloud. Okay. With that given, no CIO I run into has an argument with that. They're very, very much <laughs> recognized that. The question is, is how are you doing it? And then how are you managing it? We believe that open source cloud native architectures, building pipelines, the separation of compute and storage, and you want to make sure that you're using and calling APIs that are of open source nature, not specific to the platform you're on, because you won't be able to take that application from a dev state to a production state on premises. This is the key. A lot of people want to innovate on the public cloud, but then run production quality, industrial strength, five nines, et cetera, on premises. And they want to do it there because it's less money to run production level stuff 24-7 than it is in public. But the innovation cycles that are available on public are really quick because you can spin stuff up and down within seconds. And so we want to balance that, that hybrid world. So we believe that the world is going to run these super gnarly AI ML applications. They're going to run them near where the data is. They're going to do the, the do that work in production where those applications are deployed, like in factories, in telecom, and in, in, in 5G, hospitals in the hospitals inside the rooms. It's just going to go on and on. And we believe that that's where the action is. So we have a platform through Esmeral and our integration and our delivery and uh, as a cloud through GreenLake that allows for you to take these cloud native and legacy applications and deploy them in cloud foundations that are open sourced and compatible and reduces, dramatically reduces lock-in. We've tested this theory against so many different groups and they are all basically saying, yep, you're on the right track. Keep doing it, keep doing it. You're way out in front on this. And so we're pretty stoked about the feedback we continue to get, the number of new logos we bring on. It's been it's been a really, really good run since we announced the Esmeralda platform. You know, with, with the platform, is that a platform that is something that small business, medium businesses, is this something that's focused on a certain sector? Or is this maybe not now, but eventually going to be something that every company can benefit from? Yeah, that's a really great question. We are focused at the moment 
on the enterprise that are more distributed in nature, right? So you're going to find more unique workload opportunities that might be in manufacturing, that might be in hospital institutions, like a system that will live inside a hospital, but may not make it into the hospital room. And for us right now at HPE, we want to be able to go all the way to the small node, but we may have to initially partner with somebody to get that done, or for sure, we're going to take on that centerpiece, that bigger centerpiece, and the tentacles and how we connect that together is our roadmap. And so depending on where you are, um, you can see where the entrepreneur spirit starts picking up inside these roadmaps as we go out. Yes, I, I want a platform like that for sure. It, it really, you know, as we talked about, and I, and I can't get over that you started with a fly fishing company after listening to you and all this data. You, you had to be the person who knew the most about data within the experiential world. I come from the experiential world with my businesses as well. Yeah, I wish I was able to use data in a way and as we, you know, starting in the 90s to the 2000s to the, you know, more and more, I've realized just how important it's become. And, you know, you really made that clear here in so many ways that I've thought about but never understood. And in the little time we have left, I want to ask you, HP, you know, what I've heard is, you know, you want to advance the way people live and work. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And how are you doing that? And I assume data is is a big part of that. It is. I think the latest stat is that, you know, HPE has about approximately 30, 35% of the global server market. If you think about that, that means if you just kind of lay out the stat, you know, in a linear way, that means one third of every public cloud is HPE. One third of every private data center is HPE, blah, blah, blah. You can see the influence and the connection that we would have and where we touch people uh, globally, right? 150 plus con- uh, countries around the globe. And so with that kind of reach, when you make a change in the power consumption of a server to drop the power consumption, to get the same out, same CPU utilization, but for like 15% power outcome, and you make that go across millions and millions of servers, that's, that's a meaningful impact on a green initiative globally. I mean, so this is one of my personal passions is that because we have such reach, how do we turn that knob incrementally to make an impact on things like sustainability that are super, super important to us? That's, that's the first one. The second one is, is that how do we have meaningful outcomes for clients that are really directed? Like, you know, we were huge in the supercomputing space around COVID. Okay. So, you know, there was not a platform today that, uh, that HPE was on that had the supercomputing side there, uh, HPC, that didn't have some COVID work going on at any given time. So that's been huge. And then, then if you start looking at healthcare, I'm involved with a new client right now who has, is a huge pediatrics organization, and they have a, a large number of data sets they want to share. And they want to share it with pharma companies. They want to share it with other research organizations, stuff like that. But they are really restricted around PII around security, around HIPAA concerns, et cetera, like that. And they don't know how to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And they've asked us to get involved. And so think about that. If we were able to take a data set over radiology and be able to give it to an organization, and there was a whole nother level of radiological care that could happen as a result of an AI. I mean, we're right in the middle of that. So you, 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 I see that happening day in and day out here at HPE. It's a fantastic place to work. The inclusion and diversity here that that we mandate at every one of our our executives that they have an I and D 
initiative inside their organization to create opportunities for those who historically have never had those opportunities in technology or anywhere else. It's just a place where I feel that we're, we are walking the walk every single day. Well, what I love about it, it's, it's show me, right? And it looks like over the last yep. couple of years and within some of the things you guys are doing now, as you talk about sustainability and diversity and inclusion, you know, you're showing people the way and, and, and showing your customers. And, you know, I just appreciate you coming on today and, and talking to us about data. I have to ask this question in terms of before I let you go, data in, in itself, in terms of the amount that's being produced now, and you hear about hacks and you hear about, you know, other things. Are we going to be able to, and our, our world going to be able to kind of handle that and control that and, and make sure, you know, data isn't getting into the wrong hands. And it's just, it's just so important. And we've seen stories recently in the news, right, on, on some of these hacks. Is, is that uh, something that is playing a big part in what you guys are doing as well? It is. And the move is towards zero trust. And when you talk to towards zero trust, specifically around how you think about data, that means that people understand what zero trust means. When an application or a system or a person enters into a new computer environment, whatever that may be, you start with zero. You can access zero. There is nothing in the system that you're able to get to, period. That's zero trust. Okay. And so then you earn your right into opportunities to connect to things and stuff. And so, you know, I want to, you know, hats off to Google for having done this years ago inside their own world. They have established the foundations of zero trust uh, within the Google ecosystem. And a lot of those learnings have been taken out into the ecosystems of global companies now. And you really start seeing that this proliferation of zero trust throughout many of the cloud providers who have, have long standed that type of work. The next real wave of that to make it into the global IT economy has got to have to be into the private sectors, right? And let's be clear, the private sector still controls 90% of the data. They still control 90% of the IT spend. They still control 90% of the systems that are out there in the globe today. All right. So it's going to be a while, Robert, before we get to the point where our legacy systems are going to get to the point where we're, we have investments in that stuff. So to think that my personal, Robert Christensen's personal data is not in five different bad guys' backyard right now would be fallacy. Okay. <laughs> I know that. All right. Okay. I, I, I just accepted that. Okay. But my hope and desire is, is that you know, when we, HPE, continue to roll out zero trust initiatives like we have with our Aurora program, you will see new technologies that will dramatically bring down the attack surfaces that bad guys will be able to go into that'll that'll exploit these things that you're talking about. Well, it's so great to hear and so great to know HP's behind it. You know, I really wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. It's it's definitely been entertaining and and definitely educational. Uh, it's certainly you are a man who knows data and uh, wanted to appreciate again you coming on and Look forward to hearing some more episodes of uh, HP's Tech Talk, and hopefully we'll get to chat soon. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me on. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? 
I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N. Or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.